From Hype HQ in Chicago, Illinois, Startup Hype Man presents the Goat to Market Show. What's up, everyone? I am your host, Raj Nation, the founder and chief pitch artist of Startup Hype Man. This podcast is where we bring you founders, company leaders, and creatives who are building it, who are doing it, who have been there and done that. And they pull back the curtain on their go-to-market strategies so that you can build a venture that you love and become the GOAT of your industry. Want first listen on episodes before anyone else? Subscribe to our newsletter at StartupHypeMan.com. You will get alerts every Sunday morning when we release new episodes. All right, let's hear how today's guest is becoming the GOAT. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone. Residing in Asheville, North Carolina, she is the pitch and content artist at Startup Hype Man and the founder of Half Wild Creative. Please welcome Whitney. Hey, Raj. Very chill response. (laughs) I I keep my hype internally. So, friends, welcome to the show. She is Whitney Dermick. As I mentioned, she is Startup Hype Man's employee number one, our pitch and our content artist. She's kind of the chief everything on our team. She's also the founder of a freelance uh, operation called Half Wild Creative, working very closely with startups and small and medium-sized businesses on their content strategy. She's got a long background in content and in working with startups. And so today we wanted to use this episode to let all of you know just who the H is Whitney and also give you a window into her mind and her expertise. So our topic today is creating content that actually works. Whitney, once again, welcome to the show. Why is this on your mind and why is this important to you? Great question. So when we're talking about content, that could mean anything from your pitch to your sales presentation, your blog, your podcast, social media posts, and your army or your content can feel like an army of foot soldiers that you send out into the world to do some of your job for you and make your life easier. So it could be like sales, education, customer engagement, and it can make your life easier in that way. But the world is so noisy that finding your sweet spot so your content actually reaches the right people and gets that message across is an enormous challenge and a place where I see a lot of not just startups, but companies in general struggle. We're going to dive a whole lot more into that and also get to know Whitney's background a little bit more. So let's let's take a sidebar for a moment and learn a little bit more about just who is Whitney the person. Now, prior to us hitting the record button, I was trying to figure out where should I say you are from? And you were like, well, basically, if it exists in the U.S., I've, I've lived there. So um, my question is twofold. Number one is how many different places, if you were to ballpark it, have you lived in your life? And two, what has living across so many different places in the country taught you about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'd say I've I moved every two or three years my whole life. So um, probably about a dozen places, but then within those states, different cities, different apartments, I've just got this kind of latent wanderlust where I'm constantly looking for the next best thing. And then I think I find it and I'm cool for maybe a year or two. And then I get that itch again. 
Um, so I'm currently in Asheville, but uh, you can't necessarily see, but my walls are empty. My living room is full of boxes and I'm probably going to be on the road in the next couple of days. So um, what I've I think by the time from... this episode airs, you may already be on the road, actually. Yes. <laughs> Yes. If you see a blue Lexus driving through the middle of America, <laughs> go ahead and wave. Um, I wish I had like a half wild vanity plate. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not too late. Um, and what I learned through that is infinite flexibility. Like I moved from Los Angeles to Muscatine, Iowa. And from Marshfield, Wisconsin to Danville, Virginia. And I had to reinvent myself for every place I was in because every place shapes the people and the people shape the place. Right. And so when I was coming this, um, you know, I, I remember moving from Virginia to suburban Ohio. And in Virginia, I was kind of this like muddy need kid that just played in the Creek all day. And then we moved to this very high end suburb where all the kids in like sixth grade were rocking Abercrombie and Gap and they were all very polished. And I had to, I had to switch and learn, all right, I'm in this new place. How can I it's kind of like the content conversation. How can I tell my story in a way that is still true, but resonates with this new audience and doesn't get me beat up? <laughs> and mid in middle school, particularly, that's important. Exactly. What is the line then between remaining your muddy, need, authentic self up against fitting in with what the norm is? I think I had to give up on the idea of fitting in really quickly. Um, cause I just don't think it was ever going to happen. Um, and so rather than fitting in, I sort of had to tune into who I authentically was. And what I learned is that I can authentically be that muddy need weirdo in the woods. And I can also like, I loved that time in suburban Ohio. Cause all of a sudden I got fashionable cause I had to be. So it was almost like adding these new layers and adding these new experiences that could help build my authenticity to something that was multifaceted. So we take that vast experience in different places. Is there one, I think you said Danville, Virginia, which I don't even think I knew was a place, but um, across all these different places you lived, is there one place in particular that stands out to you for either its uniqueness or just something, some memory you have there? Sure. All of them. Like that, I think that that's my big challenge. That's my huge challenge. I'm going to answer your question, but that's my big challenge is by rolling through all of these different places, I fell in love with every single one of them in some way. And so what I'm on this quest for is a place that has like the sunsets of Colorado, but the diversity of ecosystem of California and the people of Wisconsin, and I'm never going to find it. So I've had to just make peace with that. But Raj, I'll tell you, I was so spoiled. I went to high school in Northern California in the East Bay 30 minutes from the city. And as a teenager, we were taking the BART train into the city, seeing world-class concerts on like a Tuesday night. And I had no idea how lucky I was because my life was just, oh, it's dynamic. Here's what we're doing next. And then, you know, classic senior in high school is like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. And then moved to Colorado from there where I fell in love with something brand new. So, um, each of the places was spectacular in its own route and has its own charm. But living in the Bay Area with the 
insane plethora of opportunity and culture and diversity, I think shaped me more than anything else. Well, I'm on the exact opposite end of the spectrum in that I have not lived more than a 25 mile radius from where I grew up my entire life. And when I say that, it sounds weird. And I can't believe I've never, I didn't even study abroad. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering when you hear that, are you like, ew, <laughs> like you've only lived in one place? No, because it's so romantic to me. Hmm. You know, I had friends in high school and, and even now that had that same situation. And I think if one of us is going to have an identity crisis, I know who it is. And it's not you because <laughs> you have been shaped by your environment. You are a product of your environment. You know the ins and outs and intricacies in a way that, I mean, you are kind of Mr. Chicago in a lot of ways. I think that's why so many startups see you and love you and love to work with you because you have this really firm identity that is shaped by where you're from versus me where I can be a little bit of everything, but it's hard for me to go really deep like that. So mm. I romanticize your situation. It's like Bane. I was molded by the darkness. <laughs> 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 All right. So um, let's kind of dive in now to where you've come professionally. And I first learned about you, actually, I cold outreached you uh, roughly a year ago because you were heading up the content strategy for the Oracle, excuse me, for the Oracle for Startups program, which is a massive undertaking. What's wild in this modern work era is that you actually spent a decade at Oracle. Um, you know, most people are like thinking, oh, I got to leave a job every two years, but you like, you stayed and you developed, your, you spent more time in a job than you ever spent anywhere geographically in your entire life. How would you characterize working there for a decade? How would you characterize your time there? Mm, yeah, I'll take commitment where I can get it. And Oracle was so cool because they empowered me to keep traveling. It was a place where if I had to characterize my experience there, it was an experience of hyper growth. Like I would not have stayed there as long as I did if I was not constantly learning and growing and expanding my skill set and expanding my experience. So it was extremely challenging, but I felt so lucky to be operating within this enormous sphere where, you know, in a big corporate, you have strong constraints. So it's not like we could, you know, building content, it's not like we could build anything we wanted to or just start a TikTok or start a podcast. We had to operate within the brand and tone and constraints of the Oracle brand. But then within that, because we were in the startup world, we were able to be really creative about how we took that Oracle brand and communicated it to the broader world. Um and I think the biggest takeaway for that was autonomy, like creating autonomy within this larger ecosystem is a way that can propel your, both your career and your skill set into like, if you can leverage the resources that are available to you, stay within your lane, but also use them to your advantage. It has, I think it paid dividends for me. I know I'm a weird millennial for having stayed somewhere that long, but <laughs> I think I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't extremely beneficial. My 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 opinion on work in general is if the challenge is still interesting to you yes. and you still have more to learn, you don't have like you're probably better served staying where you are versus trying to learn something new from processes to cultures to topics every two, three years. 
Um, and as I say that, I feel like that also comes back to my opinion on not having moved my entire life outside of this area. And that is, I, so I think you have the personality of you can pick up and go because you're like, let's see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm like, if I have a reason, I will go. But I, but I'm not like, let me just go for the sake of going. And I think similarly, when it comes to work, I'm like, if I, if there's a reason, my opinion is go take that opportunity. But if you're just like, oh, it's been two and a half years, it's time to move on. It's not the right, in my opinion, it's not the right reason. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also add that. So I came into Oracle through a startup acquisition. I was working at a, um, a startup in Boulder that did semantic analysis of unstructured text. And we were working with a bunch of enterprise clients. Oracle acquired us. And from getting acquired, I had roles that included product management, customer success, product marketing. So every few years, I was shifting my focus within the same product line and expanding within that. So it felt more like building on a foundation. And then you really can't beat when you're dealing with you know, a, a multi-billion dollar company, the resources, the customers, the global enterprise um, experience of it. From there, from the time at Oracle, now, unfortunately, well, fortunately for Startup Hype Man, but unfortunately, at least in the moment, um, as part of the 2022 sort of massive downsizing that happened across tech, Oracle slashed their startup program, um, which, you know, left a lot of people figuring out what to do next. Now, you kind of fell back on what you're good at. You went into content. Uh, you, you had authored a book called Half Wild. Um, you started to, you launched your own creative agency, uh, content agency called Half Wild. So let's get into that a little bit. First, sure. the book. Uh, what's the timeline on when you wrote that? How did that come together? Why'd you write it? And what's it about? Five Great. questions yeah. in one. No, 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 you know, no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the gas. Um, Half Wild. So there's a couple of half wilds if you go on Amazon. So I needed to come up with a catchy subtitle. Mine is half wild, a prayer for a generation of roaming malcontents, <laughs> because that is how I felt. And so the way that it came about, I was, as I was traveling, because for the three years prior to 2020, I was actually fully nomad. I put all my stuff in my parents' basement and just traveled around, mostly driving, but I did some um, abroad stuff as well, went to some incredible places that I know you just came back from, including Lisbon, Portugal. Um, But I was nomad for three years and I started writing about my experiences. And my style of writing is taking a really mundane experience, like getting a cup of coffee in the mountains in, you know, Southern California and creating a kind of mythical scope around it. Um, And so I was writing these little travel blogs about my experience in these various places and tying back to what we were saying earlier, really about how the people and the experiences I was having were shaped by that place and started writing that as a blog. And then when 2020 hit and I had to sort of settle down, I realized that I had a number of really compelling travel stories and enough to shape it into a narrative so it was kind of my pandemic project when I couldn't really travel anymore, when we were all inside, I took all of those stories and I wove it into a personal narrative that came out a lot more like a memoir of a wander lusty millennial. So I, I want to come back to one of the things you said there. You said taking the mundane and you gave an example like having a cup of coffee in the mountains, which pictographically, that sounds quite nice. 
Um, <laughs> taking the mundane and creating a mythical scope around it. I see a lot of similarities between that and creating strong content. Is that sort of the approach that you take to content creation? It absolutely is. And the, the example that just came to mind was I was in Jerome, Arizona, and having a conversation with a man who ran a jewelry store. And just, I mean, I think this is part of my content creator ideas. I love just talking to people and asking them questions and learning what makes them tick. And before long, I'm shopping for rings. And before long, he's telling me about how his wife in this life was also his wife in a past life when she was like a warrior princess. And he was like, like it was this whole story. And even though I was just shopping for jewelry, I'm connecting in with this ethos of this incredible place and this incredible person and telling that story and being like, I can't keep this to myself. I need people to know that this kind of thing exists. And when I send that out into the world, I know that I'm inspiring not just wanderlust, but also for those people who are just armchair travelers or just people who love people or who love culture are going to read that thing and feel inspired. And I think that that's, that is exactly my approach to content is make it authentic, make it real. Make, so make it all, it's always got to be true, obviously, or if it's not true, it has to be mythical. So true in that mythical sense, like mm -hmm. the hero's journey story. Um, and then also know your audience and serve your audience. So that was a big thing with this travel blog and why I sometimes struggle to write because I think, who cares? Who cares about what I'm doing? But then when I realize that I'm hitting, I'm sending this out and being really authentic about my experience helps other people feel seen or helps other people travel in their armchair means that my content is having an impact on their life and knowing that gives me a purpose. And that's kind of my number one rule with content is everything you do and create and put out there needs to have a purpose. Everything you do and create and put out there needs to have a purpose. That's your rule for content. I like that rule. Now let's spend a little bit of time just talking through like, I want to, I, I do want to come back to that point, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking through how you, how you came to be part of the Startup Hype Man team in the first place. So as I mentioned, um, I had originally reached out to you when you were at Oracle about um, collaborating with our pitch workshop for the Oracle for Startups program. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe within two or three weeks of that is when the layoffs were announced. Yeah. Um, but then what's interesting is your own content creation is what made me reach back out because you put up a blog post on LinkedIn I read that and I was like, oh, this is pretty good writing. And so then I reached out to you and was like, hey, we've got a freelance opening for content artists on our team doing this job of creating brand manifestos and the pitch kits we developed for clients. And you know, we had just a quick discussion about that. And very shortly after that, you were on our team as a content artist. Now, if you recall, we had a couple of interviews, but within that, I gave you an exercise that was a simulation, right? I basically gave you an actual client we had previously worked with. I gave you their, their raw data dump, if you will, about their story and their journey, their mundane, if you will. Yep. And the job, the assignment was to, in your words, create a mythical scope around it. So I'm, yep. I want to know, like, when, when you got that exercise, what was going through your head? Were you like, this is amazing. Oh my God, this is wild. This is like scary. Like what was going through your head and like, being given the assignment and then 
How did you approach actually putting it together? Yeah. When I dove into that, my first thought was, whoa, this guy is thorough because your, your process was so specific and so intentional for like the instructions that you gave me and all of the raw data was so specific and directed that it brought me an in, like an intense amount of comfort. I was really comforted by how uh, fastidious everything was because in the content world, it's really easy to get super overwhelmed. Like here's everything, make it good. And you gave me just enough where I could, you kind of gave me this block of marble. And it was my job to see where I could carve the statue out of it. Um, so I remember that that trial was so process oriented and I was immediately lit up by how intentional it was. But then when I got to dig into the contents, like the startup story, the founder story, the problem and the solution, I liked it even more. It was a really fun blend of structure and creativity. In the structure versus creativity thing, I remember, you know, you, you submitted it back and I was like, holy shit, this is good. Um, and we probably could have submitted this to the, to the client for real. Um, and then they would have, they would have loved it. Um, can you speak to, you know, once we brought you on and then you started to work on more of these, what are some of the things that you were noticing about and, and let me let me give our audience just a little bit of background on this. For those who have not been clients of Startup Hype Man before, one of the pieces in our process is creating this document we call a brand manifesto. And it is about a one and a half to two page document that is telling the story of the founder and the company's coming of age, if you will, how it came together, and ultimately the vision and the flag they're planting in the ground to declare the future that they're creating. In the capital raise um, use case, this is used to help show to investors, founder market fit, showcase who you actually are uh, and why you're the person for the job. And then for our more advanced clients who are working on uh, their sales development, the story stack clients, as we call them, this manifesto is used um, really as more of a customer facing or, or public facing document. So they understand what is your company ethos really all about? Um, and why should they be buying into not just your product, but your philosophy overall? Now, the with the with working on so many of these or the first handful that you worked on, I'll come back to my question, which is, what did you what were you noticing about founders that maybe you may either didn't previously realize or understand, or you were like, well, there's some consistent patterns here. The consistent pattern that I notice is that founders don't always realize that their companies are always extensions of themselves. Like a lot of people think that their life is on one hand and their career or vocation is on the other. And that line is so muddied for entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of founders will forget how powerful their own story actually is for laying the groundwork of their life's work. Like, and sure, an investor is going to invest in companies, but more than that, like my experience with Oracle played this out, investors want to invest in people. And so when the founders lead with their experience and show why they've got that founder market fit, it's a huge differentiator for investors. And actually, when I look at the startup hype man bill of materials that we're delivering, the brand manifesto, and not just because I'm the content artist who writes it, but I think the brand manifesto is such 
a differentiator because yeah, you're gonna you can go anywhere and get a pitch and get a pitch deck. But the brand manifesto where you show not only do I have a great company, but I know my market is how you can get investors to kind of sit up and take notice that you are the one. That and that was kind of the idea behind create behind having that be part of the process in the first place. Um, it's you know every investor says, particularly at early stage, oh we bet on the founder, we bet on the team more than we bet on the product. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what better way to show them who you are? than to have a story for them about who you are, you know, that's a little, you know, obviously it contains details about the company you're building, but it's really to get them to see how you think um, and why you care and why you're the person and why you and no one else is the person for this job. So as you've written more and more of these, um, can you just talk through like, you know, you, you said a lot of times founders don't necessarily, or they take for granted that, you know, it, the company is an extension of themselves. What are some like examples or like common themes you've seen that that to you in, in writing these stories kind of showcase or you felt like, wow, this person really knows what they're doing. Like this is the mark of a strong founder. Mm. I think there's that um kind of classic interview question of tell me about a time that you faced adversity and had to overcome it. Um, And the brand manifesto is a way to answer that question at like in a larger scope where founders have an opportunity to show their experience and their expertise, but more than that, how they have had to show resiliency and strategy. And it's also so humanizing. We will include like oopsie daisy moments in the brand manifesto of, well, we thought it was going to be this. And then we realized it's this. We will include that because it's so humanizing. And I think that we build story into everything we do at Startup Hype Man. Like from the from the K-Pasa pitch approach to the pitch decks to the brand manifesto, everything has that DNA of a story. And I think that's so important because it's so much more memorable and even persuasive than just saying, I have a product, product does X, Y, Z. Say, I am a person, I do X, Y, and Z. And this is the product that is the result of that. Yeah. Yeah. And coming back to what you said before, right? It's an extension of the personality, the person, the personality. It's it's in their DNA, right? It's like this is this company is really just a manifestation of how I think more than anything else. And that shows the commitment that they must have to it if it's like the default way your brain thinks turned into a company. Right. Now, earlier this year in January of 2023, we decided to say, hey, let's not just have you be content artist, let's promote you up to pitch artist as well. So you've been doing both of those roles um, for the last, this is what, July, so for the last seven months. Uh, And then you came on uh, full-time a couple months ago, um, adding a few more things onto your plate aside from just those two uh, responsibilities. But um, I want to walk back to the first pitch or the first couple of pitches you were sitting in on watching that pitch creation process go down. Um, what was it like seeing it in action and then getting to take a chance at it yourself? Well, similar to the manifesto exercise, I loved the precision of the process where the scaffolding of the process is going to be the same across clients. And then 
startups get to add the sprinkles. Startups get to add the meat to the bones that we create. So I love that precision of the process with the creativity sprinkled on top. The fact that we deliver elevator pitches in real time is a testament to the strength of that process, that problem approach solution framework really makes it possible to scale that. Because well, that's one of the biggest challenges with content, right? Is it can it can feel extremely nebulous. And with founders, because they're so in the weeds of their of their work and their product, to founders, everything is important. <laughs> and and it often is. And so what we do that I've noticed that I think you're so talented at this is holding up a mirror to the founder's brilliance and reflecting back just what's important so an investor or a client can hear it more effectively. So we're not we're not, you know, deleting things or getting rid of things. We are exalting the things that are most important and packaging it in a way that wraps it in a story that even, you know, one of my favorite questions when I'm interviewing not just founders, but anybody running a business is like, how do you explain what you do to your grandmother? Because founders get so stuck in next generation, Web3, crypto, blockchain, and people are like, cool, probably. I don't know. <laughs> but then if we are taking that and saying, bringing it down to the human level, and of course, still being technically focused where we need to be, but bringing it back down to that human level of how we are solving a problem for this person or this group of people or this business, that's where these pitches are so exciting because it is humanizing the company in a way that makes it super understandable and attractive. As everyone, as you're all listening to this, you know, we're, we're, we're talking through Whitney's journey with startup hype man and everything, but I want you also to hear just what's behind a lot of these responses and these questions is also how you should be thinking about content creation yourself, right? Um, having a process is important. Um, putting some structure so you're not just staring at a blank page and being like, okay, let's figure out what to write today or what to create today, right? I, I hope as everyone is listening, they are starting to glean those kinds of insights naturally. Now, if you're listening and you're not gleaning those insights naturally, don't worry, we're going to spend the next 10 or so minutes specifically talking about content strategy and creating content that actually works. But before we dive into all of that, let's talk about your product strategy for a moment, listeners. Um, what are you doing here and how are you developing your software, whether it's an app, whether it's a SaaS, whether it is something on blockchain, whether it's no chain at all? Um, and who are you using to partner with? Are you using an offshore team where things can go awry quickly, uh, where someone can flip a switch and all of a sudden you don't have access to your code or where perhaps you can have something built for you that breaks in a day? Don't Head those routes. Head to a partner who's onshore who you can trust. Head to Akeva. They are the software development partner to help you go from zero to one. They're out here building it at startup speed and enterprise level refinement. That's why hundreds of startups trust them amongst those Stride Health, Haveno, Olive, Side, and so many more who are leveraging Akeva's expertise and their services in software development from their first dollar all the way up to their billion-dollar valuation. And Akeva is ready to help you become the GOAT to market. We have sent so many startups their way, and they're, they're thankful just even for the conversation. And Akeva has a killer offer for you. They call it a you-call-it code review. That's right, a you-call-it code review. What is that? Well, Akeva will review the most critical parts of your code 
so that you can see exactly what your tech needs to launch or to scale. And here's the best part. They'll do this completely free and then you call it from there. So you want to get that information about your critical code and then just handle things on your own? You call it. Want to get their development help from Akeva? You call it. Want to get their information or their, their, their advice and then take it somewhere else? You call it. It's an unbeatable offer, a you call it code review. And Akeva is ready to provide that to you. So see if you qualify for a you call it code review. Head to akeva.io. That's A-K-A-V-A.io, akeva.io, and tell them Startup Hype Man sent you. Today on Startup Hype Man's Goat to Market podcast, Goat to Market show, we've got Whitney Dermick, our pitch and content artist on the team, employee number one at Startup Hype Man. And we're talking about her journey, but we're also talking about how to create content that actually works. Now, as we start to dial this in a little bit more, Whitney, how do you, like, like people say the word content to mean basically anything. Um, like when the president tweets, it's technically content, right? So I guess, how do you define content with, at least within the scope of, of business? That is exactly the challenge of content because content is the breadcrumbs that you put into the world that attracts people back to your company. And it can be educational. It can be evangelical. It's any way to get your point of view into the world. And the way that you choose to do that is your content strategy. What I have seen is a lot of startups say, oh, we're going to focus on content creation, content development. Mm -hmm. And maybe they do. And if they do, it's a lot of uninteresting stuff that gets put out there. In the projects you've worked on for your clients at Half Wild um, and in just what you've observed otherwise, what do you see? Like, what is the fundamental mistake or mistakes? Mm -hmm that startups make when they start to create content or develop a content strategy? Oof. I see so many companies swinging for the fences, chasing trendy content types like TikTok and podcasting without the infrastructure that they need to be consistent in delivering it. So, you know, they think they need to go viral, but the truth is if you don't have the resources to deliver on that in an ongoing way, you're gonna burn out and then you're gonna look flaky. So my advice is always to pick something excruciatingly simple and nail it and scale from there. So maybe it's a blog, maybe it's a value added newsletter. Take something simple that you know you can deliver and go from there. So focus in one area, don't spread yourself too thin. Now, you mentioned like TikTok or Instagram or something like that. Should we be bucketing that as social media as opposed to content or is it all content? That's the fun thing about content is if you have a solid messaging framework and content strategy is you can create content that then expands out across all of your networks. So when I think about content creation, it's everything from ideation, execution, distribution, and then measurement. And this distribution piece is totally different from content creation. Like a, an excellent messaging framework, which by the way, our, um, our pitch development exercise is a great way to start this, develops a messaging framework that you can then, you can then take and turn it into that 
one thing that you want to do great and once you feel really solid in what you're delivering and you've got your messaging down then that is something that can scale across different distribution channels like the secret to great content is taking one piece and turn it turning it into 50 where oh i just had this great interview with a customer and they gave me this incredible quote and i'm going to publish that interview as a uh, full-length webinar. I'm going to take clips of it and throw it all over social media. I'm going to take that quote and I'm going to put it into a uh, a little image and share that across social, put it in my, in my website, put it in my newsletter. So the content I think of is the seed that then grows into the trees and all of the branches of distribution. So you talked about ideation, execution, distribution, and then measurement. If we come back to the ideation and the execution part of it, how does someone find that one piece? Is it a mm. customer interview? Is that the only place where like, how do you figure out like, oh, this is what we're going to build around? This is where when startups, are, when startups are super keyed into what they do well, that piece reveals itself because some startups are incredibly technical and they have rock star devs. And that's your source of content. You're saying, hey, Dev, how do I solve this problem? Hey, Dev, what are your top five tips for doing X, Y, Z? And you're using that technical expertise. If you are a startup with a really charismatic CEO, you're following him around with a camera and you're capturing everything he says, and he's your source of content. If you're kind of a low key, just solid product that solves problems, you are allowing like... I've even seen startups use their documentation as content. If they're solving a problem that's got a big enough audience, send that documentation out there, get it SEO optimized and have people come to you. And then with this idea of everything must have a purpose, every piece of content, I not maybe if we're not talking TikTok, but pieces of content, especially when we're talking newsletters, LinkedIn, blogs, videos, must have a call to action. Because if you're creating great content, they're going to need to see maybe four or five touches from you before they're really interested. But when they are interested, they're going to need a do. And so mm. having that call to action at the bottom saying, okay, either you have proven to me that you are somebody that I want to work with, or you have shown me that the problem that I'm solving is way too challenging and out of my depth. And I want you to do it for me. So it's to come back to what you said, you know, a couple minutes ago or a few moments ago, rather around, how you find that inspiration, whether it's turning to your dev team and being like, what are the five things you run through or the charismatic CEO? It's kind of like figure out where your strength lies, but not everyone's going to have that same source material. Yes, exactly right. I mean, great content strategy revolves around not overthinking it. Hmm. You know, if you don't have technical prowess, don't try to create technical documentation or technical content. If your brand is primarily, you know, fun and fluffy, that is your wheelhouse. And I see a lot of startups trying to be everything to everyone. And that is a classic recipe for burnout and also muddying your message. So especially early on getting laser focused on who you are, who your customers think you are and who you want to be in the market is going to be how you crystallize that idea of your content strategy. Okay. So one area that I see, my opinion anyways, it's a, it's a fail. And I want to get your opinion is this belief that the content that's generated must drive conversion like automatically and right away. 
And perhaps as a result of that, or with that being the leading thought, like, you know, I'm on a lot of different newsletters from different companies. And what I get is just a constant barrage of see how so-and-so used our software to achieve these results. Um, Need help with this? Think about us, right? It's just like, it's just constantly talking about the product. I'm just going to, I won't even ask the question. I'll just kind of like leave it there with that's what I observe. And those are my thoughts. And I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, I came from a, I spent several years as a product marketer. And the fun thing about product marketing is if you're talking about the product, you're doing it wrong. Where the product, you're going to get to the product, but that's, you know, somebody doesn't Google, hey, I need X product. I mean, certainly in some cases that is the case, but a lot of times people just have a problem that they need to solve. And so if you're leading with product, you are being exceptionally ham-fisted and not allowing the person to sort of follow those breadcrumbs to find, I know I have a problem. I know I need support. And where am I going to find that support? Oh, this is a company that is helping me with that problem. And oh, they just so happen to have a product. Because I think more and more as the space gets noisier and noisier, people are looking for relationships. They're looking for trust. And so if you're just saying we have X product, like that means nothing to me. But if you're saying we can solve this problem that's keeping you up at night and not even leading with that, but just saying, are you dealing with this problem? And then walking that through that. So I feel seen and I feel understood and I'm starting to trust you as a resource, then leading into the product is going to be, it's going to feel to me like you are relieving my pain rather than just trying to shove your product in my face. Is it fair to say then that, by and large, we seek information first, then we seek products after we have information? That is my experience. I know that there's going to be industries where that's not the case. And someone's just like, I need an HVAC unit. But but in a lot, especially with these niche startups, I think leading with the problem is going to, it's kind of like attracting with honey. (laughs) This is why, and I've said it a million times on this show, for those who have been longtime listeners, problem market fit is what you should be working to achieve over product market fit. If you have problem market fit, then you put yourself in position to generate product market pull. You will pull the market towards your product as opposed to fitting it into what is currently out there. And you will pull them towards that, the better you can align to the problem or problems they have. I want to ask one, maybe two more quick questions, then we'll hit our wrap up, Whitney. Um, In your flow, you said it's ideation, execution, distribution, and measurement. Um, Let's talk distribution for a second. You can create, let's say, a good blog post, and then what, you just post it on your website, hope people find it. What's the strategy? I, I think that was asked as a rhetorical question, but yeah, <laughs> yeah nobody's going to come seeking out your website unless you are incredibly Google and SEO optimized. I think putting it, putting your content in a place where people will find it. I know in the B2B space, LinkedIn is incredibly powerful still. No people, you know, it's, it's a little bit like LinkedIn or a little bit like Facebook for the employed, but LinkedIn <laughs> gets dividends in terms of KPI. So putting yourself out there as a thought leader in your space and delivering your content in a way that 
reaches people, I, th I think that that's a great space. So yeah, put your content where people already spend their time. For developers, you know, GitHub is a great spot. Um, LinkedIn is great. News, I think I'm bullish on email. I think newsletters are having a real renaissance. So working with the newsletters that are already doing really well or creating your own. And as long as it's a value add, I think putting your content where people are already spending their time is definitely going to be the move. But then also the anchor to that or the counterpoint of that is your website does also need to be a repository. So it's like, mm. oh, I saw that thing where they were talking about that problem that I have. Where can I find it again? And then now they know your name and they're going to come seek you out. It's got to be easy to find there. I think another thing that I'll add into that is where can you amplify or what can you tap into to amplify? Um, one example, um, Casey Hill, who's um, part of our go to market club and has been done a lot with us in the past. He often talks about like using Quora, for example, like he, he figured out a whole system to quote unquote hack Quora and drive leads simply by just answering people's questions on Quora. And then through that, they then found, you know, his company and this converted into customers. Um, but then also, or Quora or Reddit, right? Or like posting bits of what you've written into those things because they happen to be the answers to the questions people are asking. And that comes back to what you were saying, Whitney, around speak to the problem that exists more than anything else, more than speaking to the product. But I also think finding your distribution partners is really valuable. And this is especially true if you have like moonshot content that you really want to make big, which you can't do every single time, but you can pick and choose your spots. And one of our examples would have been uh, a couple of years ago, we, you know, we created the, the parody rap video of Eminem's Stan. It's called Carl. And it was about the lonely SDR Carl trying to get a meeting from a prospect he had been hitting up for all these months in the same way that Stan and the Eminem song is trying to get Eminem to reply to him being the obsessed fan. Um, and, you know, made the song, created the music video. I think I could have just posted it on LinkedIn and that could have been the end of the day. And it probably would have done okay, just because it's interesting and people might've clicked and watched it. But I was very intentional in the distribution side of it, right? Because I knew if we just launch it and hope, it's not the best strategy. And I will say generally, hope is not a strategy. Um, it's a great campaign slogan, but it's not a strategy. Um, instead, I had... I want to say 30 to 40 different distribution partners lined up who I emailed beforehand and said, here's what's going to happen. I would love if you would share this, if you would comment on it and like it, and I'm going to send you the link five seconds after it goes live. And I just, you know, I got out of that 30 or 40 and the majority of them were like, oh, happy to support. And these are people I had built relationships with over the years. So it's not just a cold ask either. But that created immediate amplification of the content, which then allowed it to get seen by the tens of thousands of people that it ultimately did get seen by. Yeah, that's a great strategy. And it doesn't hurt when the content itself is exceptional. I, as I is suppose. the case for that video. <laughs> I yeah. suppose that helps. Yeah. Um, but and this kind this kind of comes back to all the things, all the themes we've been talking about, right? For, and if you haven't heard that song, just go on go on my LinkedIn. It's 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 still posted there, uh, or seen the video, right? It's just, it's a parody music video. But what makes it interesting and successful is it just is a it's a five six minute song, and it's parody off a song people know, so it helps. But it is purely just talking about the struggles of trying to sell a product and get a cold email answered or a cold call answered. 
there is like one mention of startup hype man in the entire song. And it's like five and a half minutes in. And it's literally just the, the company name is used for the purpose of a lyric. It is not a five and a half, six minute song. I think it's a six and a half minute song. Actually, it's not a six and a half minute song talking about how great startup hype man is. It's purely content that is focused on t- like just having a humorous way to talk about the struggles of being a salesperson, of being an SDR. And so many people relate to that, that they wanted to, and they still, I still get notifications like once a week of people liking it or commenting on it. Um, it. They feel it in such a way, and this is where we get into what I call can't sleep content, that they cannot sleep. They can't sleep that night. They can't go to bed that night. They can't really functionally do anything else in their day until they have shared this with someone else because it hits that it strikes them in such a way that they're like, oh my God, I have to get this feeling out of me. Someone else has to feel what I'm feeling right now. Let me share it with them. Mm-hmm. That is that I think is the ultimate goal that everyone should be striving for in content creation is how do you create this can't sleep content? And obviously not everything you do will hit that. But if that's sort of like the guiding, you know, the the lead thought or the North Star is how do you make this can't sleep where a person They literally can't do the next activity in their day until they have shared this with someone else because it's, you know, the same way you look at like, um, like when LeBron James, has like a windmill dunk and he posterizes someone, right? Or like Messi has his first goal in the MLS. People see that and they immediately share it with their friends in a text message. You got to think about like you create your content in such a way that people have that same type of reaction, but for their, you know, for their community that they're part of. That's related to the to what your industry is, et cetera. Um, so Whitney, let me ask you one more question and then we'll do our wrap up. We've covered a lot on content creation and content strategy and doing the stuff that actually works. At what stage, or I should say, let me reframe that. How early is too early to be thinking about content if you're a startup? I don't think it exists. I think you start thinking about it as soon as you're thinking about building a business because you've got to get the word out there somehow. And creating content is a piece of building a business. Just like a business is an extension of the person, content is the extension of the business. It's how your business finds its place in the world. And I don't think it's ever too early to be thinking about your content, especially the themes and the messaging framework to build your strategy on. Because if you are already going to market, I feel like at that point, everything has gotten so busy that it's going to be challenging. You're going to be in that point where you think everything is important. But to that point, I loved what you said earlier about um, about wanting to create can't sleep concept content. And I want to reiterate that consistency is the path to creating quality. That not everything you create is going to be can't sleep content, but in the process of creating content consistently, you will land at can't sleep content because you're going to be sharpening that muscle. I love that. Consistency is the key. And this this is, you know, this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, but and, and I think part of this the success of your your freelance agency Half Wild is product-led growth might be what you want to go for as a company, but every company that has executed product-led growth successfully, it was actually content-led or content-fueled growth that happened to have a product attached to it. Product itself didn't do it. It was the fact that they were pushing content into the market to get people ultimately to the product. It's true. Let's hit our wrap-up now. First off, Whitney, where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more? Where can they find the book? 
Uh, I mean, well, first of all, come work with us at Startup Hype Man. I'm here. <laughs> um, you can follow me on LinkedIn at Whitney Dermick. Um, and if you like emotionally evocative travel writing, um, you can check out halfwild.substack.com. There's a big trip coming up, so I'll be writing more. Um, and the book is everywhere. The book's on Amazon. It's on Etsy. It's on barnesandnoble.com. Half Wild. If you type in Half Wild Whitney, you'll find me. It's the one with the dog on a cover. <laughs> uh, Whitney, who is one person you want to give a shout out to who's been influential in your journey? Oh, I don't know if this is dorky, but I'm going to shout out my fiance, Marco Kengat, because he has been a lifelong entrepreneur and gave me the courage to go out on my own. Nice. Fiance shout out. I love it. Um, we'll now do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it over to you. The topic today was creating content that actually works. Um, again, we covered a lot here, um, but I want to come back to something that you said earlier that really stuck with me was if you're talking about the product, you're doing it wrong. Whitney, one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners investing time and energy in getting clear will save time and deliver dividends. My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Entrepreneurship is commitment. Why commitment? You need to be committed to your idea and flawlessly aligned with your vision and trusting in yourself. And that takes commitment, not just necessarily to your product and to your business, but to yourself and to faith in your ideas. Entrepreneurship is commitment. She is Whitney Dermick, the pitch and content artist here at Startup Hype Man. She's going to be working with a whole lot more of you startups out there as you start to work with us at Startup Hype Man. And guess what? If you had follow-up questions you wanted to ask Whitney as you were listening to this, because maybe you were driving or working out or grocery shopping, but obviously, since it's a pre-recorded conversation, you didn't get a chance to jump in. We're giving you an opportunity to jump into this conversation because coming up the whole first week that this episode is out, Whitney's jumping into Goat to Market Club and doing a follow-up Ask Me Anything. So you want to ask her more about content? Ask her anything. You want to ask her about being nomadic for in her entire life? Ask her anything. You want to ask about what it takes to build a great pitch? Ask Whitney anything. All that's going down in Goat to Market Club. That's our online founder community. To join, you just go to startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. Startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. It is free to join. Your first month is free. And then after that, it's a better deal than Netflix. First month free, $9 a month. Cancel any time. And not only do you get the Ask Me Anything, but you get exclusive recordings to a lot of our workshops and webinars, plus other great content and member-to-member -member interactions. Whitney, thank you for joining today. And I'll see you, you know, in a few minutes, just generally, because we work together. But thank you for joining as our guest today on the Go to Market Show. Thanks, Raj. I had a blast. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you again to our guests for joining and sharing their knowledge. Did you like what you heard? Well, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app before you head out of here. And while you're at it, who's one friend who you think would find value in hearing today's conversation? Go ahead and share the episode with them. I would really appreciate it. And I thank you for doing that. Remember, we've got more going down with our guest inside Goat to Market 
club. Think of it like the after show, the after party, the after hours special. Our guest is going to hop inside the club and do an Ask Me Anything. So you can follow up with any of those questions that came to mind as you were listening. You can follow up and ask them to our guest inside our club. To join, just head to startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. Startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. GTM Club is $9 a month, but your first month is free. You can cancel any time, and you're not only getting the AMAs, you're also getting our monthly strategy drops that are for members only, where we're teaching hyper-specific tactical go-to-market strategies, plus cool member-to-member interactions and other bonus resources. All of that happens inside the club. So again, startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. We'll see you inside the club, and we'll see you next week. But before you head out, remember, why be a unicorn when you can be the GOAT?